motherfucking deck, but stay on your motherfucking toes. We running this, let's go. I'm on a boat, I'm on a boat. Everybody look at me, cause I'm sailing on a boat. I'm on a boat, I'm on a boat. Take a good hard look at the motherfucking boat. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, your horror movie podcast that is tackling every single horror movie franchise, one movie, and one episode at a time. Uh, I am your host, Mike Snooney, and joined once again by my co-host... Jerry Smith. How's it going, guys? Doing fantastic, man. I think we have a really... Tonight's episode's going to be fun. Tonight's episode is going to be... It has to be fun. I don't know what else <laughs> yeah. it will be. <laughs> it's going to be more fun to talk about than watch, I think, is what we're going to get into. So before we get into our movie, a couple quick bit of housekeeping notes right away. First, we want to say thank you to all our listeners. I was actually just looking at our downloads uh, for the day for probably the hundredth time. And today was probably... Our, it actually was not probably, but it was our biggest day of downloads to date and we keep growing and we really appreciate not only everybody listening but actually spreading the word about our little show so thank you so much for that um two ways if you want to help us spread the word that you can do that are super easy follow us over on twitter at pod and pendulum over on twitter we pretty much interact with every single person that uh gets a hold of us uh because we're attention whores and that's pretty much how it's going to be uh the other thing you can do is however you get your podcast especially if you're getting them via itunes go over there and leave us a review if you can leave us a five-star review if you think we're worth five stars and a couple sentences that goes actually a huge way to helping people find us um i notice that every time we get a new review up on itunes the numbers seem to spike the next day so that's always a wonderful thing um speaking of wonderful things jerry what movie are we doing tonight Oh, man, I forgot. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we are doing Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, or uh, Canada. Canada, if we're getting technical. But, or, uh, yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. And that <laughs> laughter in the background, we once again have a guest. We are super happy to welcome on Brad McCarg. Um, he was a contributor over at both Dread Central and Bloody Disgusting. He's a screenwriter of the upcoming, soon-to-be feature film, Giving Up the Ghost. Uh, and he's also one of my co-hosts over at the Telluride Horror Show, as well as, as well as one of the programmers. Brad, welcome on. Thank you for having me. I am so thrilled to have you on tonight, man. Eggs, we haven't talked in forever, unfortunately. Um, and B, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. So oh, I'm stoked. You're so... <laughs> That's one of us. That's one of us are. Uh, <laughs> so, Brad, how I always like to start is to ask our guest um, what it was about this particular movie that said, yep, this is the one that I want to be a part of. Um, so I'm probably going to give uh, an answer that might be a little different from past and future guests. Um, for me, it uh, Jason Takes Manhattan is, is nostalgia-based. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first Friday the 13th movies I ever saw, and I think one of the first horror films I ever saw. And since then, I've just always sort of carried it with me as mm-hmm. being one of the best in the series, even though it is categorically one of the worst in the series. Sure. Uh, I just think it speaks to the level of you know how important nostalgia is for defining uh, movie tastes. Um, mm-hmm. Plus, I do think it has some of the best kills in the series. Okay. 
and we'll definitely get into those tonight. So do you, this is when you first saw this. Did you see this in theaters on VHS? Uh, probably VHS. Maybe it was on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember I was maybe eight, nine thereabouts, uh, and. I just, I don't know, I instantly fell in love with it. I remember I owned a Jason mask like all precocious nine-year-olds did. Mm-hmm. And um, me and some friends, we went we went out one day and we're just kind of like walking along this wall in our neighborhood. And we, we reenacted the, the boombox kicking scene where he lifts the mask <laughs> up and scares everyone. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we did it, but uh, but it's just like my one of my earliest horror memories is this film. And, and- since then, I just, it's always part of me. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about horror movies more than any other genre is, you know, you can look at a film and be like, look, I know that this is not, you know, a tip, uh, you know, a Roger Ebert four star thumbs up review, but still have a lot of warm memories behind it and find something good um, to love about the movie overall. Definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, that that kind of goes, I think, with just how great it is growing up. I mean, there's there's stuff that I forgave, you know, as a kid. Uh, or that I loved as a kid that I forgive kind of the faults these days because of it. Like, because I saw Bram Stoker's Dracula opening night, you know, theatrically, and it was such a huge thing, I, you know, as 38 years old, you know, I still forgive Keanu Reeves' bad accent just because of that nostalgia, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how did this movie come to be, folks? What was, you know, by this time, the Friday the 13th movie is kind of on its way on a downward trajectory, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, with every release, I mean, uh, the box office was getting lower and lower. And this is this was the final one. This was the one where Paramount, you know, after this one came out, Paramount was just like, yeah, we're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have at it, New Life. Like, this is, we're good. Right. And because of that, you have a director, uh, Rob Hedden, who had been working on the television show Friday the 13th, the series, which I love. Like, I think that is that's one of my I don't want to say guilty pleasures because that's not really a fair statement. I remember growing up and watching back to back Freddy's Nightmares and Friday the 13th, the series every Friday night mm-hmm. um, yeah, and yeah. absolutely loving both of those shows for completely different reasons. So he had been did you, a did you read the book. Which book? Uh, the book that uh, at least wax wrote on uh, Friday the 13th, the series. No, I did not. Oh, so good. So good. Like it, she basically dissects every single episode of the entire series. It's, it's yeah. a must own. That show has nothing to do with Friday the 13th, though, right? Or am I it thinking of a different correct. show? No, no you're yeah, 100% nothing. correct. Yeah, nothing. This is the one where basically uh, it's a haunted antique store. And, you know, it's produced by Frank Mancuso Jr. And Paramount wanted to get into syndicated television. And like, well, we're going to use the name, but we don't want anything to do with actual like Jason Voorhees and slasher movies. So you had like actually what was a really cool premise where you had these like these cousins and, you know, Jack Marshak, their kind of mentor who, my God, man, Chris Wiggins is Jack Marshak was 
too fucking wow. much. Um, we had him hunting down all these haunted objects, and it was like a bloody for like a late eighties syndicated television show. Like they got away with a lot of gore. Yeah, and they had a real a lot of really great directors. I mean, Adam Agoyan directed an episode. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Sweet Hereafter, Exotica, so many great mm-hmm. movies that he went on to direct. Yeah. Like, it, yeah, that show was great in general. And, you know, there was a rumor that they were going to do like one episode around the hockey mask, but that never came to be. But Rob Hedden had been a writer on that show. He did done three episodes. He was offered the opportunity to write Jason Takes Manhattan. And he said, I'll do it under the condition that you also let me direct. And at this point, Paramount was like, yeah, fuck it. You know, why not? What's the worst that can happen? And this was our result. Well, I mean, that and like from everything I've read from what Rob Hedden said, he really, it didn't seem like he was that much of a fan of the films that came before it. I mean, his first idea, I mean, I think he said it in those words is to get Jason out of that stupid lake where he's been, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think he realized kind of that was kind of a key factor into the mythology, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, the sad thing is this movie has such an awesome idea like the idea of jason Voorhees running around you know manhattan and just like going ape shit it's such a great idea but and that that teaser oh let's talk about the teaser for a minute oh my god like the teaser reminds me and obviously the films have no plot similarities whatsoever but the teaser for jason takes manhattan's always reminded me of the teaser for leatherface yes you know you have these very like mysterious figures you don't know it's leatherface at first in that trailer just like you don't know it's jason in this one and it, it just hooks you in and by the time you figure out what the hell you're watching you're just like holy shit is that jason in new york and it has the biggest amount of potential of any teaser in the entire series you know like i wanted when i was a kid and i saw that in the theater that that teaser I wanted Jason in New York, you know, like I wanted this craziness, this big ambition that, you know, that a lot of the planning for this movie had, you know, Rob Hedden wanted like, wanted the boxing match between Jason and Julius to take place in Madison Square Garden, you know, right. like, like a Broadway, Statue of Liberty shit. And what, we got Canada. You, know? you got a ferry boat in Canada. <laughs> Like, I almost feel like Jason Takes Manhattan, like, if Jason had actually been in New York and it wasn't shot in Canada and we actually got the movie we had hoped for, it almost feels like it could have been a quote-unquote fresh start, you know, kind of like Part mm-hmm. 6 was. Yeah. So, you know, Part 6 rejuvenated everything, made him essentially a zombie, undead, all whatever, what have you. Um, I feel like this one, uh, to kind of echo the director's sentiments of getting him out of sentiments to get him out of the... Um, out of the quote-unquote stupid lake, this could be a good opportunity to unleash Jason Voorhees on the rest of the world. Then, I think, though, the problem there is you don't have a Friday the 13th film because so much of Friday the 13th is tied to Crystal Lake, the motivations behind his killings, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, well, I mean, this is... It's definitely the one where it's just like they throw out every ounce of mythology or or not. I'd hate to use the word continuity because the films have never been big on that. But like with Jason Takes Manhattan, it is 100% almost like uh, Halloween 3 where it kind of doesn't even feel like that same kind of movie, you know? Right. Like, yeah, Jason's in this one, but 
by the time they get on that boat, it it just feels like a completely different slasher movie with Jason. What I want to know is how no one saw him for what has to be several hours <laughs> right. on that boat. And he wasn't trying to hide. Like, he just, you know, he pops right out of the water, that first shot of him on the boat, you know? Yep. Like, he's also, just like, fuck it, I'm here. How many people are in this graduating class? <laughs> Thank you. I was just going to My graduating class was like 600. This is what, like 12? There's like 15 people in this whole graduating class. You, that's all you really see. Like, they don't and even have... percent like, of them extras. go missing like 10 minutes right. into the ride. Right. <laughs> You know, and like, one of them happens to be the captain's son. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have like four people on this lifeboat getting away, and no one ever says, like, you don't even think to say, what about the other, I don't know, 100 or 200 kids that are trapped in the boat with the killer? Like, it never even is thought of or comes up in any way, shape, or form. Also, what's really funny about this one is everything that we kind of got like a small glimpse of in uh, New Blood, we got like heightened in this one you know the new blood had that kind of like uh familial uh you know like like the family arguing you know the the daughter that accidentally killed the dad he comes back to save her you know the mom trying to get a doctor for the daughter whatever this one we get you know we get the uncle that tried to drown the protagonist we get the uh the captain's son who doesn't want to you know have his dad's life like it's in varsity blues like jason takes manhattan is the most soap opera one out of the entire Mm -hmm. series it's like, also there's just the so 80s. much drama. Yeah. It's the most 80s out of all of them, too. Yeah. And that's saying a lot because A New Blood was very 80s. Like we were saying last time, like you do not, it, it, it technically is supposed to take place in 2000, I think, if you do the timeline. And, but it's like totally 80s with all those pastels and pops collars. And, uh, but this is even more so in this one. This is like a episode of like Dynasty or Dallas on a boat. So much saxophone. Is there a shirt the saxophone player in this? <laughs> well, there might so. as well be. What there is, though, is it's kind of like what we mentioned in that last episode uh, for the New Blood, where, you know, if you take kind of the telekinetic parts out of the character in New Blood, she wouldn't mm-hmm. be that interesting. And in Jason Takes Manhattan, like, I'll double down on that. There isn't a single goddamn thing that is interesting about the protagonist other than she owns Stephen King's like pen (laughs) you know what i mean like as the series went on like they you know we started out with like the alice's the jenny's you know tommy jarvis you know stuff like that by from seven on it's just like with every movie you got a protagonist that you cared like even less and less about than the previous one Rennie was the first protagonist you kind of like i almost rooted against her at this point because she seems like just sour you know like she comes into a do you guys remember that old saturday night live skit or debbie downer with um mm-hmm. oh god i think rachel oh. dratch yeah. um it's, it's like every time she walks on the room like all the joy in life is just completely sucked out of it like that is uh the character of rennie like just walking into her room you can just feel all the life just come out of it like oh well, here's this goody two shoes that and a lot of the things that they try to set up in this one, they don't really follow through. They try to give Rainy that kind of human antagonistic, you know, like rival, you know, kind of like the uh, Melissa, yep. 
well, not even just the uncle. Like the Melissa character was in the New Blood. Mm-hmm. You know, in this one, you get what Tamra, and she, you know, she pushes Rennie off the the thing. But you know, they really don't follow that through. Like ten minutes later, Tamra just gets killed off with glass. Like mm-hmm. there's all these setups in in Jason Takes Manhattan, but there's there's really no payoff. Which, to Brad's point, I think that the that kill, and I guess her name is Susie. I don't mm-hmm. know. That is one of the best kills um, of the movie, if not the whole movie overall. Like that is a pretty awesome moment when she's just like cowered in all the glass, and there's nowhere for her to go. And it's it's very much like Jerry. You've talked about Rob's death. Um, this is really similar to Rob's death in that, like, it's just so completely hopeless for her that it does make it a bit scary. Which so, in the film's defense, this I think it's I think the character's name is Susie. Susie um, is the girl at the very beginning on the boat. Mm-hmm. Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Tamara, yeah. Tamara's the, the one. Uh, yeah, it's okay. You're fine. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Tamara's <laughs> the one that has all the body parts drawn on her to try to like, okay. you know, in her first yeah. grade biology project. Right. Which, speaking of, and because only because I have a note written on this, what the hell does the principal care about her biology project? Why? Why is she presenting her biology project to her principal on a graduation? I know. Like, what fucking high school is this? Well, that, and like, no, I I was, and I hate to use the word rocker, but I was kind of in that group in high school. You know, that was that was me at one hundred percent. But I can tell you one thing for certain. I never went to a fucking graduation with my fucking guitar and a little like amplifier and had my Weezer looking friend videotape it the whole time. Like there's so much about this. You know what's funny is the more I'm talking about, the more I'm I'm loving this. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is wrong with this movie? Like I said, it's fun to talk about this movie because it's just one of those things where it's just like so what the fuck but it, it's fun to talk about in that regard so Tamara's death i thought was one of the better deaths of the movie overall um this is really the birth of jason that just teleports everywhere as well like there are times in this movie where like jason is behind a character a character will run away and then up or down a stairwell and then like boom jason's in front of them again so this is really the movie where Jason gets his teleportation powers. Well, it happens is, six times. It, it does. It does happen six times. And it, it's crazier to think with every single time. But the the thing that state stands out about this movie to me is every other film, you could tell when a new director came on board, they were like, okay, how am I going to follow what happened before this but do my own thing? You know, like Jason's design in The New Blood. You know, you saw every wound from the past films. Mm-hmm. And Jason Takes Manhattan, I feel like Rob Hedden and every single person involved is like, you know what? Fuck what happened before this. Because, you know, Jason doesn't look like he used to, even as a kid. Right. Uh, there's crazy hallucinations. hallucinations oh, child Randy. Jason goes through, uh, like, four different stages. He He's a normal different. child. He has a disfigured eye. He's completely disfigured. Okay, so See, like, three. There's, there's no continuity whatsoever no. in this movie no. that I feel like, like, you know, first day of shooting, they threw out half the script, like, fuck it, let's just wing mm-hmm. it. it. It's weird. He it, has hair in some of them, and he's no longer a, um, what Tom Savini described as a mongoloid. He's like a normal kid that just drowns mm-hmm. in a lot of the shots. It's very odd. Well, I mean, speaking, speaking of continuity errors, because this is obviously the elephant in the room that needs to be addressed. So, 
Crystal Lake is a lake. At yes. <laughs> However, in Jason Takes Manhattan, Crystal Lake is a lake that apparently has docks and can hold a small cruise ship and is somehow connected to the ocean that can lead to New York. You got it. <laughs> you got it. What's, dude, like, huh. what's funny, it's like my my 10-year-old pointed this out at one point, like years ago. Like, Dad, well, I thought it was Crystal Lake. Yeah, it is, son. Well, how did he get to New York? It, yeah. I, I don't know. I have no idea. As far as I know, a lake is basically a landlocked, all sides around, no outlets to anything. That's the, that's what I was taught in geography, but <laughs> so I don't know. And you know, I th- can accept that. Like Crystal Lake is in New Jersey. I can accept that part of it. This is very much like Jason killing Alice in Part Two. Where like, how did he get there? Like, is he Alice is not? Yeah, he took like a Greyhound bus and he carried like his mom's head under his arm the whole way. Um, this is an even bigger head scratcher than that. I would pay to see a Friday the 13th with Jason in the back of the bus holding his, oh mom's head his lap while, while uh, Hello Darkness, my old friend, is playing. Oh my God. We got to call those, Vincent. We got to call Vincent. Those are, always, those are always like the fan film origin stories that I want to see. Like for the longest time, I wanted to make this this short all about this you know older doctor you know uh, sitting out at a table preparing his coffee you know reading the newspaper and then you know having a phone call and at the end grabs his trench coat and goes to you know transport Michael Myers mm-hmm. like you know I I want to have these backstories I want Jason to take a greyhound to kill Alice at the beginning of two like <laughs> these are these are the movies that I want to see I feel like that would have been a you know, a better Jason takes Manhattan than Jason takes Manhattan. Jason taking the, well, he does take the subway in this movie, but Jason, yeah. yeah, Jason, like taking the, going to Yankee stadium, maybe taking in a ball game, like all of that would be so much fun. Well, do you remember how like just fearful and afraid Jason was in part two? Mm-hmm. Like, like he was terrified of people, you know, wearing that sack mask and, you know, falling over chairs and stuff. And, you know, fast forward to this movie He's kicking boom boxes. He's like trying to spook the fuck out of the punk rockers. Yeah. Like like he's he's fist fighting like heroin addicts. Like <laughs> Yes. And that is one of the good the one good you know, one of the good things about this movie is Kane Harder again as Jason. I think he does bring an awesome energy and a real performance to the character that rises above the material that he was given. Like it's kind of unfortunate that Kane Hodder is never given something on par with a part two or a part four uh, or even a part three to work with overall that he was given four of the weakest entries overall, but he's always is fantastic in these movies. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that says so much about Kane Hodder. He was giving, you know, arguably four of the weakest sequels, but in those sequels, I mean, he made the most, you know, recognized Jason. That is that is what everyone sees in Jason, you know, from an outside perspective. If you think of Jason, you think of the Kane Hodder era. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it says Jason. a lot about it. What's that? Zombie Jason. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's definitely zombie Jason, and it's also, um, I've described him as like a really pissed off dad. Um, that, you know, he is, he's got his mind set on a job. He's going to like fuck those kids up no matter what, and nothing is going to stop him. Um, 
and he brings like a real physicality and a real tells a lot of story just through his body language and how he carries himself as Jason throughout these movies. You know, what's interesting about this one and it just popped in my head is, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this the first Friday 13th movie where it shows you every fucking location in the opening sequence? Like (laughs) it shows where the guys are shooting up. It mm-hmm. shows like every future location in the film right from the beginning. Yeah. Instead of oh, like yeah. instead of instead of the flashbacks, you know, that we previously got in the other the other, you know, films. This yeah. one pretty much like here you go. Here's the you know, the the subway, the the diner, everything. You see it right from the beginning from that awful song. And you get that great voiceover that goes with it. Yes, you get that like that it... voiceover reminds me of the trailer for Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> like I remember being, I remember that's one of my first memories of going to the theater is my mom and my stepdad taking me to Jaws Revenge, or not Jaws Revenge, a movie before that, and the the trailer for Jaws Revenge played. And I remember as a kid, I had no fucking idea that this was going to be a Jaws movie because that mm-hmm. voiceover, it's so like existential, and you're like, what? It's a fucking killer shark movie. That's what this one is. And they're trying to set um, up New York, trying to set New York City up as a character. And a force of like real malevolence in and of itself overall. It's going for that kind of like maniac 42nd Street. And even though maniac, I think, is set in Philadelphia, but I think it's like trying to set up like New York is a really bad place where really bad things happen to good people. It's trying to set that vibe up right away. They try to set that vibe up, but it comes off less ominous and more like the dude that's kind of the bookends and pretty woman, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Like at the end, he's like, oh, Oh, I love Los Angeles or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. That's that's what this voiceover reminds me of in, in Jason Takes Manhattan. And that song, Jesus Christ. Yeah, we'll have that song that's going to be playing under the credits here of our show, <laughs> probably during right now. I think um, I'm going to have the darkest side of the night play at my funeral, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have I know what I want. Wedding. I know what I want on my... Oh, you're getting married, Brad? <laughs> no. <laughs> something you want to tell us here in the show? No, no. Do you want to propose no. right here in our show? <laughs> Do it, Mike, Brad. Mike, Mike, will you marry me? I will. Yeah. Absolutely, Brad. If I swung that way, absolutely would marry you. <laughs> as long as I could be the little spoon on every other night. Always absolutely. Forever. You're a catch. Brad, you are a catch. I am a catch. I like so, where the show is going. This this is really this is a love fest right now. Um, hey, I have a question about the... So I do like the opening sequence on the boat. Like, that is actually one thing I really like. Um <laughs> except for one thing which we'll get to but uh, i thought it did a really good job of like setting up the movie overall like these two people on a boat you're kind of familiar with it overall and like your like boyfriend the, the uh the jim and Susie characters that the yes opening thing? yes the characters i misnamed earlier um i actually did really enjoy that part of it uh no, and then, it's, it's a strong it's a really strong opening i think i think the yeah. only thing that i have an issue with on that opening is because it was 1989 maybe the same person did Jim's hair that did uh, Kevin Dillon's in the Blob remake? Possibly. <laughs> like, I, I, I just keep see, like thinking I'm watching the Blob every time I see that character. That guy's hair. Nuts. What I do like is when Susie sees Jason walk in. And she's underneath her boy. Well, she's underneath Jim. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're having a very good time. She sees him walk in and starts freaking out. And I fucking love that. Um, that was something that was supposed to be in part three but was or part two but was cut. Um, 
With the uh, the Sandra character, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember it, that. So I really love this idea of like you're kind of lost in in passion, and then all of a sudden you see this hulking maniac come in. Like that's a really cool idea. That was another part of uh, Halloween Five that I always liked is the mm-hmm. scene in the barn. You yeah. know, where it's it's those predicaments where it's like, oh shit, how's she gonna get away? This dude's on top of her. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael Myers. Michael Myers walks up and just. Right in the back. Yeah, there's nothing. No, I, I like I like this about Jason Takes Manhattan too. Like the opening's pretty solid. That op- like the opening reminds me of uh, of a movie I don't like that has a really strong opening. Uh, Rob Zombie's second Halloween. Mm-hmm. Like I love that opening sequence in the hospital so much. But it's whenever you know she wakes up from the dream in that movie, I'm like, ah, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> and that's that's what this one is. Sure, I kind of love everything after the opening sequence in Halloween too. Like the cow stuff and all that stuff. Um, no, after the after she wakes. Oh, that's up. after. Yeah, 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 yeah everything. Yeah. So like that'll be ghost another of the interesting. Mom and to talk Charles Manson about. stuff. Well, maybe not the ghost mom, but you know the rest <laughs> of it. I think is ghost Our mom. Are like Manhattan. So yes, yes. Every I, everyone is on the edge of their seat. Like talk about Jason gets a Manhattan. God damn it! Which is one of the complaints of the movie. Like it takes an hour and one minute and about a ninety minute movie for them to get there. Like that's one of the things. Like it's really like Jason takes a boat. It, it is have the same ring to it though. But, <laughs> Play thirteen part eight. Jason takes a boat. <laughs> <laughs> if they had just done that, though, if they had just like, if you didn't have this expectation, where like, all right, Jason's gonna run around New York. If it was, Jason has somehow gotten on this like it's it's high school graduation. You have like a hundred teenage kids on like a Crystal Lake cruise at that point, and that was a ninety minute movie. That would have been enough. Like that could have been a really solid, fun slasher movie. It kind of would have been like Terror Train, but on a boat. I think it would have been funny if they would have kept the boat in Crystal Lake, but the boat's so big, and because of it's a small lake, it just goes back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> the boat just goes back and forth. <laughs> like, that would be more entertaining than what the fuck we got. Well, what if they did, like, it was a Jason Voorhees, like, how in Hatchet they have the cruises, like, through the view? What if it was like that, like, oh, here's the cabin from part two. Here's, you know, where the Jarvises lived. And, you know, what if they pointed out shit like that? Meanwhile, they're all getting slaughtered by Jason. That's actually a really cool concept. Oh, it would be. I'd love to watch that. That were, like, half of the... Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, I feel like if they're gonna try and keep that that idea alive of getting Jason out of Crystal Lake, honestly, have something happen to his shack or wherever he. Well, I guess by this point he's been dead forty-seven times over. Mm-hmm. Um, continue on like with part seven and just like have him leave Crystal Lake, like have him go into the neighboring city, yeah, yeah, and just start fucking shit up. One of the ideas of part seven, and it carries over a little bit in Freddy versus Jason, is Crystal Lake was going to be filled and it was going to become like a developed area. Yeah. Oh my God, I would fucking pay oh, no, any amount no, of there, money to there see is Jason a, in suburbia. There you, is a, uh, there's a, the original script that uh, Peter Brackey, the, the writer of Crystal Lake Memory, said he was going to send to us. The original script is is that they covered Crystal Lake. There's, there's condos, and it brings Jason back. And there's, like, 
helicopters and everything. That sounds awesome. Right? It really does. It really does. And then they got you know the mandate, like, nope, just remake part four. That's what people you know want. What's interesting oh. is when I was researching this episode, uh, I came across, like, different statements from different people. Like, everyone from part seven wanted to write part eight. Mm-hmm. Like, I read that, like, John Beekler had his, an idea where, you know, Tina would come back as Jason in part, or you know, against Jason. You know, Lar Park Lincoln that played Tina, she wanted to write one where, you know, Tina was a psychologist. Uh the, the male protagonist from seven wanted to write one where all the events of eight or, or seven was revealed to where he was the killer. Like, what? <laughs> Jesus. No, no, for real. So, like, it, it's interesting that we got Jason Takes Manhattan because, I mean, these other ideas seemed even worse. Yeah. Like, I Jason Takes Manhattan was the better idea, you know? <laughs> this is the one that wa- sometimes the worst idea just wins out by proxy. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's nuts. I so, still want to see Jason in suburbia. I think that would be great. Like oh, he gets like God. locked into a gated community and just like starts throwing poodles at people and killing see, that, those that like year old like, blue hair. That almost sounds like it would be the plot of like a Green Day concept album right there. <laughs> Jason takes suburbia. I would listen to that album i would definitely yeah they, they'd get rid of the eyeliner they'd put on the hockey masks you know they'd, they'd maybe branch out to four chords this time around it'd be great speaking, speaking <laughs> of the hockey mask yes how i, I know that he gets because like um jim just has that mask with him correct okay aren't these the silliest things that happen in these sequels like i love i love franchise horror with a passion but the idea that, like, oh, following all this shit, ten years later, we're still going to stock Michael Myers' mask at the convenience store. Or, like, <laughs> a, like, everyone and their mom has a hockey mask. Like, it's like what? Not only does he have a goalie mask, he has a goalie mask with the same cut in it from a machete. Like, it just happens to have that same, like, notch taken out of it. Yeah, and, <laughs> and a retractable knife. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Jim, this guy's a Jim dick. Is a dick. Holy he is. Crap. Jim, Jim is Shelly without the charm, you know, and the <laughs> and and the Jufro, which you know, so he is Shelly without those two things. I think you might be the one person that's ever said that Shelly had charm. He did. Oh come oh, on. Oh no, I you know what? Team Shelly to the end. I'm right with You're you. Definitely but, like, team Shelly here. Uh, yeah. I argue that Shelly is the most important character in the entire series. Right? Really? Without, him, sure, without him, he wouldn't have his mask. True. I asked. I actually asked Larry Zerner when we interviewed him, which you can go back into our archives. I'm like, what if, like, instead of a hockey mask, Shelley had, like, one of those hats with a propeller on it? Like, what do you think would have happened? <laughs> He's like, we would have had three movies, and that's about it, dude. What do you fucking think? <laughs> so, that is such a... That is like the best answers. Like, yeah, you ask someone like that expecting something really profound. He's like, "Well, we yeah. have three movies." Well, but I like, was, yeah. But the, the Tom McLaughlin first question this was a hot dog a sandwich. He was like, "What?" He's like, "What?" He's <laughs> like, "I'm missing the nightmare cinema screening for this bullshit." Like, so. But that would have been great. I think so we definitely got some press out of that from like thanks to our friends at Dread Central and Bloody Disgusting as well as others. I really wish one site would have just been like, eh, Tom McGoffin answers whether or not a hot dog is a sandwich. <laughs> and oh, 
by the way, he has a script for like another Friday the 13th movie. Um, all right. We are well, stretching I, tonight, man. We are okay, so, stretching. So, so to, to get it back on course. Yes, thank you, Brad. Right, Jason Takes Manhattan takes place on a boat. Can you imagine how interesting it would be if it took place on a modern day cruise ship? Yes, it would have been hey, awesome. you'd have Sugar Ray plane. <laughs> oh Thank man! I'll, I'd I'll love be here for at least another half an hour. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to hear him just kill people to fly. All right. <laughs> well, you know oh. what would it be like nowadays? Like that song would play in the background, and meanwhile he's tossing people over the boat. Like you just see bodies <laughs> flying. See, that over. is what I want. I want a remake of Jason Takes Manhattan, but instead of like high schoolers he's killing every washed up band that does these cruises now like you know sugar ray smash mouth the flies dishwalla like they're all going mm-hmm. oh, that's the movie I'd, I love wanna... to see, I'd love to see jason on that like ninety thousand tons of metal cruise oh god right so jason is just fucking people up set the morbid angel it would be fun it would be and it's such a it's it to me like that's a really you have people like trapped on a cruise liner, get a lot of extras in it and have some fun with it and make it gory and bloody. I think you could do a lot with this movie. Um, well, here's... That's, that's, I think that's that's the, why I get frustrated with it. The concept of Jason taking a cruise to Manhattan is so fucking genius. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the frustrating thing for yeah. me. Watching the movie itself. I'm like what the hell it's such a missed opportunity because i think of any sequel this is the one that should have been amazing yeah, yeah. and short, it's, just, like, it's just not short you, of the interesting kills it i mean it just squanders any opportunity it has to be unique like to to kind of keep it within the realm of friday the 13th but make it its own beast by so bringing what, it onto a, a different area so what are your favorite kills, Brad? Like, let's kind of go through, like, what would be your three or four? Because you had mentioned, like, you love the kills in this movie, and there are some really good ones. Like, what would you say are the real standouts? Yeah, I um, I love the guy getting the coal shoved in his gut. Mm-hmm. That one's pretty solid. Yep. Um, Julius, of course, getting his head punched off, and Jason subsequently taking it out of the trash can it fell into and putting it on the cop's dash. Yeah. That one's pretty brilliant. Um, it's, it's like he's like it, super stoked at what he did. I know, right? It's like, oh, hey, look what I did. Oh, um, this guy talks shit. Look at this. <laughs> but uh, one of my other favorite ones is um, the captain of the boat, mm-hmm. or Admiral Robertson, I think is his name. Yep. The, mm-hmm. the guy's dad, Sean's dad. Because it's simple. He's just looking at his first mate's body, and Jason sneaks up behind him, and in slow motion slits his throat yeah it's just very atypical i think of a standard kill you would find in a friday the 13th movie and the way it's pulled off i just absolutely love it's a really good classic slasher movie kill like the setup for it is great uh the actual um cut ripping open is really cool i had mentioned uh tamara's death in the shower scene i love that i think it harkens back to rob and part four um where you have this character who you definitely root against like she's very much like your melissa character although i do love how she seduces the principal and the principal for like a couple minutes is like he's into it don't you know let's 
let's not beat around the bush here. Like for a minute there, he's he's like, oh yeah, you know, and then realizes it's a bad idea. But when she's just like sitting in that pile of glass and Jason is bearing down on her, that's a really scary, cool moment. I think mm-hmm. it is. I, I I think that the emotion of it would have been amplified if, like Rob, we you know really liked the character you know prior to that. But I, I think the whole idea of just being on your ass looking up and someone standing over you about to kill you, I think that's mm-hmm. really like a really good touch. And mm-hmm. it's one of my it's one of my favorite kills in the movie too. Absolutely. Uh, I, I like I like when the heroin addicts kinda get their comeuppance. Because <laughs> so, I mean like going into a Friday thirteenth movie, you never think you know what I'm gonna see? You know uh, Jason's gonna kill people, the the kills are gonna be inventive. And thugs are going to inject our protagonist with heroin too, like like that is I think more than the lake to ocean thing, the fact that like heroin has been added to the Friday the Thirteenth so mythology. Like, let's what? yeah, let's break this down. Within four minutes of screen time passing of these guys landing in New York, the following things happen: number one, they are robbed; number two, Rennie is kidnapped. Number three, she's sexually assaulted. Number four, she is shot up with heroin. All within about four minutes. All this like, shit happens. New York does not fucking play, dude. No. <laughs> it doesn't. Like, I don't want to go there now. Nope. And my and then, first like, reaction when he's about to stab her with that syringe is like, oh my god, did he use that already? Yeah, right? <laughs> like, he's going to give her hepatitis. You would have been, actually, this would have been at the height of the AIDS ap- epidemic. Oh, shit, yeah. Oh, 1989 like no fooling around like that would have been a and, very real concern and you know what's crazy is you know from the beginning that this shit is not going to be a fun ride because you know why because a fucking rat cry, crawls out of the sewage and even the rats fucking fed up with it from the yeah. beginning that rat comes up he's like slimy he's just like you know what fuck this i'm out you guys have fun with jason in manhattan yeah also new york is apparently a place where like toxic waste chemicals <laughs> are just left <laughs> in unopened containers on street corners very much like mailboxes and trash receptacles it's like they saw ghostbusters 2 and it's like oh well you're going to have uh, you know slime and shit under yeah. there uh, well, we're gonna we're gonna put some ooze in there too. Get the Ninja Turtles out while we're at it. And then you, it was the '80s. It was a different time. It's fucked up time, man. And then you have that, you know, when they go to the diner and they're like, "Someone's tried to kill us," and the waitress is like, "Welcome to New York." It's like, oh <laughs> fucking <God. laughs> fuck, come on! Like, like, how much did they hate New Yorkers really making this did. movie? Like, the only like, thing that would have made it more perfect is if it had one of those old, like, um, guacamole or um, salsa commercials where they're like, "You got your guacamole from New York City, New York, New York City." City. You know? One yeah, of my first impressions. Yeah. One of my first impressions of New York was uh, Jason takes Manhattan. And I've only been in New York once, um, so very little has changed. But uh, my my whole impression of the city is that it is a dark, lawless hellscape. Just like my first impression of Chicago was mm-hmm. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, and it is a brightly lit, lawless hellscape. <laughs> Were you- yeah, I'm terrified of going to New York just because of Jason Takes Manhattan. I think I'm going to be abducted, assaulted, and injected with heroin or, you know... Come across oh. punk rockers that listen to hip hop. Like oh. I'm, I'm terrified of this stuff. Or all the toxic waste that's just littered yeah. all about the city. 
Like, yeah. like, why were they not listening to like Minor Threat or RKL? Like, what they would were it have been to... in 1989? Like, what would it have been? Maybe like Fear or something? Like, maybe like early, early Bad Religion? Yeah. Uh, by 89, you're getting into like the. Oh God, you're you're past suffer. You're probably into like No Control by that point. By 89, No Control or like what? Like like pre Smash era offspring. Yeah. You know? I mean, oh. you, you could have had like Husker yeah. Du. Husker Du would have just been broken up, or you could. Sorry, Brad. Like this is like what the fuck are you guys talking about right now? But you could have had like yeah, you could have had like actually you could have had like the Gorilla Biscuits in nineteen eighty nine. All that why shit they... from Revelation Records. You could have like Straight Edge Hardcore playing. Yeah, instead they're listening to like basically Run DMC, like right. Which I mean, no offense to that. That I mean, I love Run DMC just as much as the next guy. But if you're like punk as fuck in a Friday Thirteenth movie, then I'll have if some you, fucking Gorilla Biscuits. Yeah, if you could have had like Youth of Today's Break Down the Walls in a fucking Jason Takes Manhattan, <laughs> I would have been like five stars, greatest I want, movie. Ever I want been. the equivalent of Jack Death and Trancers going to that punk club. I want that at Jason Takes Manhattan, but with mm-hmm. Jason going to, like, a really hardcore pit, you know? That would have, oh, shit. Shit, yeah, Jason just fucking up a club. A dance club. Right, that would be awesome. Right. There Jason we go. Moshing. Jason moshing is a t- fucking $50 million idea. Could you imagine Jason going into a pit and doing what he did to Julius times fucking 40 at a time? Oh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> Like our Jason listeners pay us right now. <laughs> our listeners love this shit. Are you kidding me? You know, our listeners love this shit. This is, Punk Rock and Jason, man, I am there. This this would have been absolutely incredible. This is really what Never Hike Alone should be, um, part two. This is what it we we need to get on the phone with like Wompstomp Films right away instead of Never Hike Alone, like Never Go in the Pit Alone. This is totally what the next fan film. Never Mosh Alone, be. dude. Fucking great. Jason in a circle pit. Write the checks. Fucking write the checks. Oh man, this is why we need a Patreon so we can actually make (laughs) this shit happen. Oh god. So where do we go from here, guys? Where are we going from here? Well, uh, Julius got his head hit off. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rennie's on heroin. Uh, (laughs) Like it doesn't even seem like we're talking about a Friday Thirteenth movie. (laughs) Really not. Rennie's on heroin. Charles Charles gets in a bucket of toxic waste. Oh, yeah. That's a fun death, too. Like, him getting, you know... I feel like movies from this era really just kind of lifted off of each other, because I, I hate to keep going back and forth to the Blob remake, but the whole scene in the sewer of Jason mm-hmm. Takes Manhattan just feels like it was straight up, like, lifted from that movie as well. Wait, what happened to the teacher? The blonde lady? I think she just dies in the car crash, right? Yeah, she dies in the oh, car crash. yeah. Car crash. Okay, does that count as a Jason kill? I would Could say you, so. Like, See that that feels alien too. Like I don't want I don't want someone dying by like natural causes or like an accident if it's not by Jason in these kind of mm-hmm. movies. Like it it, it seems like a, a cheat. But I think because she's an adult, it counts a little bit less overall. Um, Charles I will, should have been. I will say this in the movie's favor. In part seven, we waited for that whole movie for the doctor to get killed. Like, you were gearing up for it. Like, if the build was there, you really couldn't wait for this guy to get fucked up. And then it's, like, two frames of a movie and then cut away and it's a bloodless death. And you're like, huh, kind of disappointing right now. That's something that runs throughout the entire movie. Like, Mm -hmm. the kills are great, but at the same time, like, 
isn't Jason takes Manhattan in a lot of ways like the the, the most like blood light. But know, I like think the, in this case, your evil human villain gets his comeuppance. Like he's dipped in that toxic sludge, and he's held in there for a good amount of time. So I do think that's a point in the movie's favor. Like you get your villain, and you're like, yeah, dude, fuck off. Like you know, that's a pretty good death for him. How cool would it have been though if he was lifted out of that and he looked like the a uh, milk a mill character in RoboCop? That would have been awesome. <laughs> That yeah. would have been fantastic. That is that or a cameo at the end with Stephen King. He picks up his pen in the alley. <laughs> my books. Cool. If at the end of the movie, Jason hands Stephen King his pen, and like that's what the whole movie was about. Like Stephen King sent Jason out to get his pen back, <laughs> and Stephen King closes the book and it just says "Goosebumps" by R.L. Stein. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. That's right. Again, these are we're given paramount we're given Sean Cunningham million dollar ideas to No, like listening to this, Tom McLaughlin's gonna be like, I wrote a fucking script of these guys, these guys. We'll we'll get a meeting. What if this is a script? What if somehow we've subconsciously tapped into Tom McLaughlin's script and he hears (laughs) it's like what the fuck guys? Stealing my ideas. A hot dog gets him a sandwich. <laughs> I will retroactively I've, take back every good thing I've said about. I feel like there was a really good missed opportunity to have the uh, the boat, not the little dinghy that they're in that gets them to uh, Manhattan, but the boat itself. Um, like something happens, someone dies and falls on the throttle, and it just like crashes into a dock. <laughs> See, that, that would have been cool. That or like if we would have seen more than just what we did. Like Kelly, Kelly Kelly Who's death is like in this very small disco room that looked like it would be like you know the green room at a convention center. Like it doesn't look like a, a boat, you know. Yeah. Like that we see a little bit of the kind of boiler area of the boat. Like it, it like I would have loved to have seen Jason some big set pieces on that boat. Yeah. Also, why were the kids allowed to go into the boiler room? There's no supervision whatsoever. <laughs> no. It's just... I mean, that principal, at some point, he blames the teacher uh, for letting Rennie disappear or something like that when everyone is trying to track down Jason. And I'm like, bitch, two people already died on your watch. That and 90% of the whole crew disappeared 10 minutes into the movie. Like, whose fault was that? That should have been the lead-in to the, the boat just suddenly, like, gaining speed. When your graduating class becomes five people towards the last 75% of the movie, like, <laughs> you know, there's something wrong. Maybe no one did their biology project in the, <laughs> right? in the whole senior class. No wonder just that Charles is so angry all the time. He's just like, no, no finish. He has like, he has to help the biology teacher do grade all of these late biology projects. That's he probably really- threw all of them in the water to teach them to swim and they all drowned. Like, yeah. So what is Rennie's that, that was acceptable. So that what he- is Rennie's deal? Like, what is the deal with her and her uncle? Like, I don't get like the whole him just tossing her over the boat. That's literally it. That's the extent of their backstory. You know, I wish I wish I could read into it more, but I'm pretty sure Brad's right on that. I just think Rennie's still salty about almost drowning. And, 
and the only connection to Jason is that I think he mentions Jason and that the fact that he drowned in that lake that he threw her into. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that is the explanation for why she's hallucinating seeing Jason uh, throughout the entire movie. Different, different versions of child Jason, mind you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, the thing is, like, her hallucinations... Oh, I can't even say the word. Hallucinations, like, they're interesting because they're not typical ones like, oh, daydreaming. It's like the whole window of her room, you know, is all murky and Jason's right out the window. Like, these are weird hallucinations. Like, it's, it's, she, are like, we it's, it's almost like she had a heroin has... problem before me. <laughs> Maybe she was injecting Stephen King. Well, this would have been peak cocaine, Stephen King. So maybe <laughs> like he's she's injecting herself with some of that sweet coke. Um, Dude, they probably had some left over from the new blood shooting. Oh my god! But that that's another thing about. So I'm just so hung up on the 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 layout of this boat. We cannot. It, it seems like every single student has their own room, and they're all like nice fucking rooms. Yeah. No, you're right. Like this is a huge it's it's I can't tell if the boat is huge or if it's just really empty. It's hard to tell which it is. And why didn't JJ take her guitar and her amp to be filmed in that really nice room instead of the boiler room? Because uh the really nice room isn't metal, dude. Yeah, you're right. True. <laughs> it's that soft was, jazz. <laughs> that was pretty metal, like where she was filming on the on, underneath that is metal as fuck, so we cannot argue that. See, that is one thing I believe. I believe that that the kid that's filming JJ would be her friend because mm-hmm. you know Weezer Weezer fanatics they they got along with metalheads too. If I remember correctly, oh absolutely, correct. absolutely they do. Yeah, Weezer's power pop with kind of some metal underpinnings in some mm-hmm. songs. I think even Maladroit was like their attempt at doing a more metal type of record. Yeah, I remember in the that interview. The false metal. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I remember an interview back in the day with the Maladroit era, and, and Ruber said he wanted to make an Iron Maiden album. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if he really captured that, but... <laughs> not quite, not quite. I still I love, like, during the Pinkerton Thor- tour, when their, like, logo was, if it's too loud, turn it down. I think that's such a brilliant little slogan, but what the fuck do I know? Um, oh, man, I'm trying to think what else. So, Renny, I, you know... We talked a lot about Tina in the last episode and how aside from having like these telekinetic powers, there really was not a hell of a lot more um, to that character overall. And I feel like, is Rennie supposed to have some sort of psychic powers or is just like... I don't like... think Rennie was supposed to have anything. And that's that's the weird part. Like, I, I think I told you this before we started recording. I'm not a huge fan of Jason Takes Manhattan, but I think I've seen this movie more than any other one of mm-hmm. the series. And to this day, I mean, I've seen it hundreds of times, but I don't remember a single goddamn thing about Rennie 24 no. hours after watching it at all. Uh, and I don't think boring. it's performance. I don't think it's performance. I don't think it's anything. I just think it's the way it's written. You know, There's like, nothing there. I mean, Tommy Jarvis. You had three different people play him, but every single time there was something very interesting about the character. I mean, Ginny. You know, there's so much interesting about that character, but like with Rainey, it's just we're not given anything. I mean, I'm I'm such a huge non fan of Jason Goes to Hell, but at least some of the characters are written pretty. You know, they're written good. Well, it feels like 
you know, Rob Hedden and the crew were like, okay, we absolutely have to have a final girl. We're just going to do it. Um, so whatever. But they don't really do anything with it. It's almost like a perfunctory thing at that point. Yeah, it, it seems very, like, uh, slasher by numbers at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that, that that played a huge part into the, the film not really performing as well as, you know, the past movies did. I don't think it was just being fatigued. You know, a lot of people blame that, and especially the producers kind of blame that, oh, we had too much going on, too much Jason. I don't think it's too much Jason. I think but by Jason Takes Manhattan, the magic was gone. And the, the magic was gone from everywhere from the writing to the directing to just, it just didn't, walking into, you know, like I saw Jason Lives in the theater as a kid. It's one of the first movies I saw in the theater. And even as a little kid, I mean, that movie just felt magical to me. Right. Like, seeing Jason Takes Manhattan, like, if you take out the nostalgia part of it, like, it's it's a chore, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think what's interesting, like, we are now nine years removed from the original movie, and your fan base for that movie would have been, like, your 16, 17, 18-year-olds. They have now, and we're going to talk, I think, about this more next week when we get to Jason Goes to Hell. Um when you're almost a decade removed from the original film, who are these movies for when you get to this point? Because by and large, I would say a lot of the fans of the original few movies have maybe grown out of them by this point. I mean, by the time you get to any eighth installment, regardless of the type of movie it is, it is like, what is the point? True. You are only appealing to people who are fans of that series. Right. The people who did start at it at a young age. So you're not bringing anyone new into the fold by part eight? No. You are basically appealing to those people who had been mm-hmm. there since the beginning. It's like when, um, it's probably not the greatest comparison, but it's like when uh, a band you loved back in the 90s. I mean, we're all, you know, in our late 30s, early 40s now. A band you loved in the 90s, you know, they they eventually start sucking, but you're going to keep going back to them and listening to their new albums and giving them a chance, even when their most four or five recent albums are complete crap. Because the magic of of the, the, the stuff that made them so magical back in the 90s, whether it was, you know, capitalizing on the grunge scene... Or you know, being the 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 new metal band du jour or what have you, mm-hmm. you know, eventually they change and they evolve, and you want to go back to to what made them so special. Mm-hmm. But that's just impossible. I think the difference with film, though, is because you have different creative teams for each movie, you have an opportunity to have a fresh outlook on all of these like there's a reason like batman has almost a thousand issues at this point and he's probably appeared in say ten thousand comics between everything he's like guest starred in or whatnot but people still find ways i would argue to tell fresh stories through comic books mm-hmm. um with film, look at the Bond movies. The Bond movies continuously, like, they can reinvent themselves. And yes, part of that is budget, and also the quality of filmmaker that's going to be attracted to that project is much higher. But you have an opportunity to actually tell 
and put your own stamp on something. But unfortunately, what happens with a lot of these latter films, not just Friday the 13th, but any of the movies this show is going to talk about, to your point, Brad, you're right, you get into those later entries and they can be a slog to get through. Well, what's interesting about that is, you know, uh, when it comes to horror franchises, by the later numbers and sequels, it's kind of not what you signed up for in a lot of ways. I love Halloween 4 and I love Halloween 5. They're good movies, in my opinion. Yes, they're some of my favorite movies. But are they good sequels to John Carpenter's first movie? Not at all. Mm-hmm. Not at all. So I, I think it's very rare that, you know, whether or not you were a fan of it, I think it's rare that when the 11th Halloween movie comes out, it's finally a return to form. You know, mm-hmm. or or now or now or now you have like the new Saw movie, like with Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson, like. You know what I mean? Like it's it's rare when that happens. You get this kind of burst of either what you loved about it or something really fresh. But a lot of these films, I mean, yeah, by by the eighth Friday Thirteenth movie, it doesn't even resemble what you loved about the first few. That's the thing, though. In the end, you uh, it becomes a double edged sword. Yeah. If you just keep you know steering the course to go back to the uh, the music analogy, if a band keeps putting out the same album over and over and over again. It's going to please some people, sure, but it's going to piss off a lot of others. And if you go in a drastically different direction, as Jason Takes Manhattan did, uh, it's going to please some people and drastically piss off uh, another group of people. You you really can't win, mm-hmm. you know, no matter how it's done. So in the end, I think the only thing that it comes down to is simply, and this is where it obviously departs from the music analogy, is have that reverence for the source material. Yeah. That way, I think if that's you a good are point. doing if you are doing something completely different, at least you're staying in the area of what what made it such a a good uh, uh, a, a good original film or a good phenomenon, what have you, uh, however you want to uh, slice it. Um, and that's clear, like like you said, he didn't even really like the fact that Jason was at Camp Crystal Lake or anything like right. that. There are ways I... to keep Crystal Lake in it and get away from the camp without. Um, you know, shirking the responsibilities of of the franchise, I suppose. Yeah, and I would say your point of like keeping the reverence is a really good one to make, and I think that's what separates. Like, Jason X is a movie I really enjoy a lot, and I'm not saying it's a great movie. It obviously has a lot of flaws, but I think it's a really fun movie, and I think part of it is like Patrick Farmer really likes the Friday the Thirteenth movies and really Talk. likes the character. Talk um, Farmer. Todd Farmer, thank you. I'm sorry. Patrick Lucier is the director. Todd Farmer, the I'm just going to combine them into one person. It's going to be Todd, <laughs> it's going to be Patrick. They are now conjoined twins. Um, but I remember like watching that movie um, after a long day at work, and my wife sitting down to watch it with me, and she's not a fan of these, and she's like, at the end, I was like, that was really fun. Like that was actually a lot better than I thought it would be. And I think it's because like you have these people that are involved with it that really enjoy where the franchise was and they don't want to do it a disservice mm-hmm. it, jason jason x is just ludicrous it is oh like absolutely it, it abandons the entire conceit but not really mm-hmm. I, it's i don't i don't know there's something super special about jason x i fucking love that movie it's a remake of alien it's a straight up remake of alien i love it yeah so, no I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of that movie and it is kind of off the rails and it's silly as, as hell, but there's there's so much heart in Jason X that I, I think like it's just it's a lot of fun to watch. 
Mm-hmm. Like my my son, my ten year old Dexter, he's been bugging me for two months just to be on the Jason X episode of this podcast for five minutes. Awesome. <laughs> it's just like it's like what of all movies to like constantly ask for that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. I'm absolutely, absolutely all for that. Doing something like that. Um, so I think I want to close with just talking about the end a little bit um, because it's kind of ludicrous it's just like dude i have no idea i'm 38 years old i've been watching this movie since i was a little kid i have no clue what that ending means like i i just i have no idea i can't even pretend to understand the ending to this movie like jason squeals at one point like he sees the sludge coming and he starts like squealing well, like he's a like pig. he's like the shark at the end of jaws of the revenge with that roar Mm -hmm. (laughs) like what that and like okay does the sewage just turn him back into a child like i don't i'm like no i'm I'm trying to wrap my head around this i'm actually looking at the um the friday the 13th fandom wiki right now and again take take (laughs) just i'm i was curious because i remember the ending being very very weird um and i watched it earlier today and i had a question about it according to this he's actually washed away into the ocean but that's not true. Like, the the body is there. Like, the kid's body is right there. She's hallucinating it. Because where did the kid's body come from? She had been hallucinating the kid throughout the entire, throughout the entire movie. That so doesn't make hallucin- sense. Oh. No, it, I mean, it makes sense within the context of her previous hallucinations. It's just really fucking stupid. Wow. I, I, you know what? I'm going to look up the script and, and see if it actually has that written up on it. That's interesting. Now, I understand that. Like that makes sense. I think just maybe execution wise in it. I don't know. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't that makes no, no sense. I feel like I have to step in here and say no. It certainly does not make sense. <laughs> okay, listeners, please tell us. Um, so I mean, because when I was at the end of that movie, I'm thinking that like Rennie and Sean abandoned the small child <laughs> to the sewers of New York. Like, well, think, think about it, Mike. Where did the child come from? The, the, I think like all of like the zombie shit is washed out of Jason through toxic. Okay, but do they take him? Do they take him to CPS? I mean, like no, they didn't do anything. They just left. <laughs> New York has already gotten to them. Like. Now you she's have. Already, she's already on junk, you know. She like, doesn't give a shit about children at this point. She's gonna hit. sell. She's gonna sell their TV when they get home. <laughs> she's like itching her forearm. Like I need another hit right now, man. I'm really. I'm. Tw- I'm tweaking over here, you know. Like they gotta get her some sweet, sweet smack, you know. But they've basically left this like poor, ten-year-old special needs boy <laughs> in the sewer of New York. Jesus. How I've read the edit ending. It's a Bob really head and why. Oh, so I don't really know what else to say about Jason Takes Manhattan. Am I missing anything here? No. <laughs> Brad? No. Brad, what do you have to add? Uh, it's amazing. It's, it. it's I a feel really... like it needs to be like a, a Mystery Science Theater episode. I smell a Patreon. Or Matt Matt Donato uh, at, a, at Dread, an, a Dread Central writer. He does his drinking with the Dread. Oh my god, he totally needs to do it with uh, Jason Takes Manhattan. If he hasn't already. Telluride. Yeah, we need to do something at Telluride. We need to do something. Um, 
this is this is yeah this has been a fun episode um uh, <laughs> because even though like i i think it's I don't love this movie and Brad, I understand why you do because I am going to absolutely defend. I'm going to defend Jason goes to hell. Like it's my daughter. And yeah, I'm going to defend that movie and it's going to end up being a quote unquote, very special up because that movie has some very, it has some very um, real significance to uh, me overall. The, Um, The thing about Jason goes to hell is that it's fucking clever. Yes, it's and the clever is shit. So, Brad, can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on right now? Like anything you have coming up, you want to pitch or promote? Uh sure. Um, I mean, Telluride Horror Show programming is in full swing. We hope to see everyone out there this October, uh, October 10th to the 12th, I believe, are the dates. But go to telluridehorrorshow.com, double check that. Um, you know, I'll be at Frontiers and Fantasia this weekend. Um, working on some short stuff with Becky. And um, I'll be actually a jury member at the uh, North Bend Film Festival this year. At what film festival? The North Bend Film Fest. Very cool. What is the short film you and Becky just did, and where are you thinking of submitting that to right now? Yeah, it's called There's a Ghost in the House, and it's sort of kind of a dark relationship, dramatic comedy type thing involving a couple whose relationship, which is already pretty bad, reaches peak awful when they start arguing about the arrival of a ghost in their house. And um, we're in the editing process right now. And once it's done, we hope to submit it, uh, you know, obviously to Telluride, uh, Fantastic Fest, you know, all the the major film festivals that we can. Mm -hmm. um, And just kind of hope for the best. And talk a little bit about the Telluride Horror Show, because you've been hosting there. I mean, I'm a host there because of you basically it'll be my seventh year going back and you hopped on i think was it the second year this is the first year you went out yeah second year i just kind of started as a um as a guest host uh alongside my friend gabe and it just snowballed from there so now we're going into our 10th year it's going to be our biggest best yet um so now we've got you know karaoke which mike you run now yes i'm now uh, karaoke and um trivia you run, the, you run the trivia show with becky yeah i run trivia with becky and um yeah it's just become a really fun low-key destination film festival nestled in the mountains of telluride and it's a great excuse to go to telluride it, it really is i think part of the appeal is just it's such a beautiful area um and the way the this festival is set up is it's just so easy to kind of like a you can get from the two of the three theaters they're literally within a 30 second walk from one another mm-hmm. and then our big theater that which we added two years ago the 600 seat palm theater is literally a 10 minute walk away or a three minute shuttle ride away if you happen to catch the free shuttle um but like to watch that festival grow um every year is just really amazing yeah, and we've got some great stuff planned for this year. Um, like I said, it's our 10th anniversary. So we're uh, we're going to go all out. So um, feel free to reach out to me, listeners, if you have any questions. I'm more than happy to answer. But um, yeah, it's going to be a great year. And Brad, where can people now reach you since you're now no longer allowed on Twitter after threatening to murder your brother? <laughs> uh, well, you can still find me on Twitter uh, with about... Uh, 90% less followers, which I'm still very bitter about. Mm-hmm. Uh, just add Brad 
a McCarg. Uh, I don't do any film journalism anymore, so nowhere online really. Um, but uh, yeah, Twitter is probably the best place to find me yeah. and listen to me bitch about stuff. And did you guys settle your blood feud? Do I have a blood feud with my brother? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's going to be ongoing. Guy. <laughs> All right. Um, Jerry, will you want to tell everyone a little bit about next week, who we have coming up? You know, we're going to have to edit that in because I totally forgot who we have coming up next okay, week. Okay, excellent. <laughs> we have some schmuck who we can't even think about remembering. Some nobody. Oh, I can tell you what we have coming up later this week. Uh, yes. Actually, no, that's not true. Um, if you go back one episode, you will get a very special interview with William Butler. That's our special guest episode. Um, so I'll edit this part out because that's the past now. Um, but actually, I think we are going to have an interview with Adam Marcus, the director of Part oh, 9. That's right. Uh, it will probably be a separate episode from our main coverage of Jason Goes to Hell. But we are hitting the home stretch. I know that we have someone lined up for next week. Can we get this out? But yes, I can't remember who it was. I'll That's fine. It. All right. So listeners, thank you once again. We hope you've enjoyed the show. I think that, you know, although we were very critical of the movie, I think we do it from a place of love overall. I really <laughs> do think that, you know, we try to have a lot of fun with the movie. So if you like what you hear, again, follow us at Pod and Pendulum over on Twitter. Please consider leaving us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. That goes a long way. Um, thank you once again to all the listeners. You've been absolutely incredible in helping this sh- little show grow by uh, every week. It uh, really warms. It's really fun to actually do this and know that people are listening to it and enjoying it. And we'll be back next week with Jason Goes to Hell. <laughs>